Master the Rohirrim. The Brohirim has been mustered. Welcome to episode four of Muster the Brohirim, a podcast about Middle Earth and all things Tolkien. We are currently discussing Amazon's new series, The Rings of Power. I'm Josh, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick. Josh, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot. Just excited. The uh, series is really starting to uh, pick up, I think. The pace of it's definitely moving faster here in this episode that we're about to talk about. Oh, yeah. It just keeps getting better and better, and I feel like it's starting to hit its stride at this point. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And now we're actually at the halfway point of this series, or this season, I should say. It's kind of hard to believe that we're already halfway through it. It's kind of crazy, actually. It really is. I mean, we're there's still so much, I think, that needs to be uncovered, even though, like, at this point, we're starting to flip some of those stones over. We're starting to get some more information. But, man, I'm just really wondering where this whole thing is going to end up. Me too, buddy. Uh, and I'm very excited to see. So we'll just have to keep watching. And in the meantime, we'll keep discussing each episode as they come. Yeah, and this is going to be a great one. I can't wait to dig into this one. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? We also cannot wait to hear from all of you out there as well. And to hear what you guys think about these episodes as well. And Nick, can you tell us how they might be able to do that? Absolutely. We have a Facebook page. So join our Facebook page at Muster the Bro Hiram on Facebook. Come join the Bro Hiram. Join the discussion. Let us know what you're thinking about our episodes, what you think about the series, and maybe anything you want to hear about. And don't forget to review our podcast as well. We uh, definitely want to hear from all of you. Yeah, absolutely. That helps us get better at what we're doing. Obviously, we're still pretty new at this, but. Uh... We're having a good time and uh, just excited to bring more Middle Earth and Tolkien content to the world. That's right, man. All right. Well, I think we can get started here to take a look at episode four of The Rings of Power, The Great Wave. The Great Wave. All right. We'll be right back then, right after this. And we're back, charging into episode four of the Rings of Power, The Great Wave. Josh, The Great Wave, what is this? Oh, man, I got to tell you, this opening scene to this episode was so, it was just cool. It was awesome. It was essentially Queen Regent uh, Muriel having a, a vision or a dream or something of essentially the downfall of Numenor, which from her perspective was just such a cool thing to see. I mean, not that we want to see Numenor swallowed up or anything like that, but knowing kind of the fate of Numenor, uh, because we know later on in, in Middle-earth, Numenor no longer exists, that this is something that was going to happen. And I think it's just so cool that we kind of see um, the Queen Regent having this foresight or these dreams or visions or whatever they are and and kind of knowing what's coming or maybe she's even trying to prevent what's coming it kind of really gives a 
a better idea of her character for us. Sure. Yeah, no, they, they waste no time in showing us what this great wave is, right? Like right out of the gates. And man, yeah. that is absolutely terrifying. Like in, yeah. I can't even imagine standing in that position and watching literally the sea engulf your entire city. I mean, wow, yeah. the destructive power of water is a real thing. And that was, uh, that was a very well done scene showing that prophesied destruction of Numenor. And yeah, wow, really, really cool. And um, hot off the heels of um, Regent's discussion with her father that, you know, the mm-hmm. elf is here. Yep. In the ending of our last episode. And, you know, maybe jumping right into why they are so terrified of Galadriel being there. Yeah, I, I think that, that that will obviously play later in the episode where, where, we, where we see that. Um, but it is, it is rather interesting because, like, if you notice, too, I don't know if you caught this, but, like, when she wakes up, she wasn't necessarily, like, laying down. She was, like, sitting up and she was, like, still fully dressed. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes you wonder, like, how much sleep is she losing over this? Is is it, you know, I mean, there's, this is clearly something that is of, of pressing concern for her and right. really kind of driving her actions and her motivation for what she's doing. Right. Heavy is the crown. Indeed. Or heavy Indeed. is the head that wears the crown. Yes. <laughs> I believe that's how it goes, bro. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and so we we get the we get the great wave right out of the gates, and then we do a little jump to Farazan, and he is our definite uh, conspirator. At least that's what we think here on the Bro Hiram. Um, yep. Up to no good, and and he's he's out there, and it's very obvious that he is you know maneuvering for political gain here, right? You know oh, he's doing sure. his handshakes. He's uh, you know, doing the niceties with all the Numenorians, like trying to establish himself as a handing leader. out drinks and giving speeches about how they are, you know, of the Adain, right? Descendants of the Adain, like fighting Morgoth himself. A, a little bit of even like Numenorian revisionist history, because he basically yes. implies that Elros and his host took out uh, Morgoth, which really not the case. Um, <laughs> I think. Uh, I remember someone saying that Elros was like 15 when the War of Wrath started. Um, so he definitely was not leading a host. <laughs> mm, interesting. Yep. Some revisionist history. I like that. I like that. Yeah. But that would make sense that they'd be doing that, especially where, I mean, we're talking thousands of years later. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it does. It, it does. Yeah. And so in addition to that, we get introduced to a Farazan's son uh right away in the in the beginning there yep yeah so another kind of made-up character uh, Mm -hmm. for another storyline so we'll kind of see where that goes i really don't know a whole lot um about what they want to do with that but uh, it certainly is interesting it seems like he's uh crossing paths a lot with the other made-up character here uh being um elindo's daughter yeah Yeah, and and his name is is Kimmon or Kimmon. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Well, the made up characters kind of doing their own storyline. That's that's fine. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. Tolkien made up all these characters, so it's not like we're talking about real history here, right? Yeah. 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 Well, some people, some people get <laughs> real, real uh 
uptight about the history of Middle Earth and all that. And I certainly love it and want it to stay true to, you know, what I would consider Tolkien's vision. I think the show's doing that so far. Yep, I, I definitely agree. I would say, like, if I had to nitpick, there's a couple of, like, um, conversations or just things with how things are said mm-hmm. in, in the series so far that don't feel very eloquent. Um, and, and Tolkien tend to be a lot more eloquent with how things were described and, and talked about. Um, for example, like Tamar, rather gruff guy, he's kind of, seems to be, he's kind of working with uh, Farazan to rile up the people. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, making a speech about elves, like taking their jobs because they don't get tired and they don't grow old. And it's just, I don't know, a lot, a lot of ridiculousness there in my opinion. Yeah. Some, some anti-elf sentiments for sure. They're, they're out there. Yeah. But that, that kind of sums up that, that whole scene and it kind of brings us right into uh, Galadriel talking to the Queen Regent once again. Ah, yes. Yep. Into the throne room and presenting her case. Yes. So not only is she presenting her case, but she's also trying, you know, basically to convince uh, the Queen Regent that the Southlander that they have in prison, i.e. Hellbrand, is in fact a lost king. <laughs> right. The heir of the Southlands. Yes. So yeah, very, very interesting. You know, we, we kind of knew that was Galadriel's thought process uh, in episode three uh, when she confronted Halbrand uh, herself. And yep. then, you know, now she's bringing it forth to the queen. Clearly, Galadriel is is doing some own, some of her own maneuvering here, right? And yep. so from this point, you know, she talks about how the Southlands are in trouble. This is their heir to the Southlands, the king. If we can get him back there and save these people, we can defeat Sauron, which we all know is her goal. So yep. let's get to the Southlands. Let's reclaim it. Um, and she needs the Queen Regent's help for this. She needs Numenor to join yep. the fight. She needs the Numenor strength. So kind of interesting. And uh, ultimately, obviously, the Queen kind of rejects her at this point and says Numenor has their own path that they've decided. And yeah. uh, she kind of tries to go, I don't even know what she goes, nuclear, elf nuclear on her and basically <laughs> says, I'm going to, I'm just going to go to the real king then if you're not going to yeah. talk to me. And that just, you know, winds her up in jail. <laughs> I I liked this uh, this dialogue piece, especially when when um what what did uh, oh boy what did Galadriel call it? Like there is a tempest, tempest in inside. me. Yes. Yeah, and I loved this dialogue, this back and forth where Galadriel just wasn't going to have it. Right, she is on a mission here, and she expects to get what she wants. Like she know she feels righteous in this fight. And she, she's probably very like, why aren't you people getting this? And mm-hmm. so when she talks about the Tempest in her and she specifically calls her out and says, calls her the regent, right? And maybe I should be taking this up with the king who has the authority to make these decisions. And I, I just couldn't help but um, hearken back to Gandalf and Denethor. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Right. So he had like this back and forth and, you know, authority is not given to you to deny the return of the king. And it it was fun. Another another nice uh, callback, at least for me. And it kind of creates that that parallel or, you know, that representation, familiarity. And I just really, really, I, I enjoy that. It gets me excited when I see stuff like that. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a fun little uh, tidbit that you pointed out there. I didn't really draw any connections there, but I can definitely see that kind of continuity going on. It's very and what cool. happens to Galadriel as a result of, of the Tempest coming out? <laughs> She's in prison. I believe on sedition charges, as she said. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was quite funny. So her whole monologue and then boom, I'm in prison. <laughs> yep. It yep. was a it was a very fun uh, scene transition there too. Yeah, the Queen Regent's like, just like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, boom, you're locked up. Yeah. Uh, and lo and behold, right next door to Halbrand. <laughs> yep. <laughs> He's just kind of hanging out, playing the cool dude role at the moment. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, that that was great. Um, continuing on uh, for our last little visit in Numenor here at the beginning of the episode and I think it can pretty much be summed up at least by me is Isildur is removed from the sea guard he's dismissed by the sailmaster yep Yep. once again he gets distracted you know you had mentioned last week how you kind of noticed that like the shores were calling to Isildur and you hear that again this time around and this time around he just decides you know what I'm going to give up the rope, get myself kicked out. He, I think he very much did that on purpose. Oh, very intentional. Yep. And and what he didn't anticipate is getting his buddies kicked out, right? So his buddy Valandil, um, and I, I can't remember the other name of the kid, but Valandil's the one that, that called him out. And yeah. I remember that name in particular because I believe that is actually what one of Isildur's sons ends up being named. Oh, interesting. So kind of makes you wonder, you know, like, there's probably a, a better friendship there than, than what's being portrayed at the moment, or maybe right. something's going to build in the future. Um, that kind of yeah. leads to that moment where, you know, the Sildor would name his son uh, Valandil. And it, who knows? We might not even see that at all in the, um, in the Rings of Power series. It's just kind of something that I noticed. A fun little so Easter, kind of a little nugget yeah. of information there. I, I like it. I always enjoy hearing that kind of stuff. So, yeah, very cool. Yeah. So, you know, we get that. He also, you know, kind of called him out about, you know, the West or the real Numenor. Um, I, do you, you notice that as well? So I'm, I'm very much interested to really get to dive more into uh, Western Numenor or where yeah. the faithful reside. I'm, I'm hoping that we get to see more of that soon. Yeah, me too. I, I like this dynamic that's kind of playing out between, you know, what the faithful, you know, the elf friends and then these anti-elf Numenorians as well. So, yep. you know, there's there's some dissension in Numenor. And it, I think it's laying the groundwork for the future, kind of where we know it's going to go. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let that one play out. But, yes. So, I think we uh, keep moving along here. Yep. And this was my favorite part so far in this episode. I mean, yes, the Great Wave was cool. But we're back in the Southlands. And I yep. am in thoroughly enjoying the storyline taking place in the Southlands. Yes. Yeah. So we, we see a Rondir, he's in chains and uh, this is where we're officially introduced to Adar. We clearly, clearly see. An elf. Yep. He's definitely a scarred up elf. Yeah. Like um, a dark elf. He is. Yeah. He looks like, uh, you know, not how you would imagine an, an elf to look, but tortured soul, maybe conflict. I, yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm really liking it. Yeah, I, I think it's really cool. I think there's a lot there. Uh, a lot of interesting things were said in that conversation, you know, mm-hmm. talking about uh, 
uh, alludes to to lies that are now be taken as truth so much so that even like the rocks and the land believe it. Mm, um, yes, that whole piece of dialogue there. But but skipping back to right when we're introduced to Adar. Yeah. Right. Oh, so we sure. have a we have a wounded orc on the yep. ground, um, clearly dying, and like it's almost ceremonial what's going on here, right? And I found this to be an extremely interesting moment between Adar and this wounded, you know, dying orc. Yeah. And he eases his suffering, right? He he ends his suffering by by stabbing him and basically allowing him to die. But this almost seemed to pain Adar to have to kill this orc. Like it was an act of kindness to stop his suffering and that was uncharacteristic if you will for a uh bad guy for sure uh definitely interesting and the other thing that i found interesting is kind of like the the almost look of peace that like passed over the orc when like adar came and like got face to face with him and spoke to yeah. him or whatever laid his it was hand just... on his forehead and it was just yeah. kind of like this like they call him Adar, which is father, right? Right. Yep. So it's I, he brings a comfort and a peace to the orcs, and this is something that we don't see in you know the orc culture, at least from like the novelization and the the film adaptations. Like, I you don't typically see this. So no. this was this was a very fun insight into you know maybe a different perspective or something that we just haven't seen in the orc culture. And I, this, it was just very interesting. Like I said, again, uncharacteristic mm-hmm. for a bad guy. And then the so. orcs pick up his body and they walk away with it almost with like a reverence. Yeah. Instead of and, just like throwing it. <laughs> yeah. You just don't associate this kind of behavior with orcs. So I'm, I have to say there's something with this Adar that changes almost the dynamic of the orcs when he's around. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, so that's that. Why don't you jump into kind of this conversation with uh, with Aaron Deer now and the told many lies. I love this whole piece of dialogue here. Yeah, me too. I mean, so so that's the main piece. Right. So he basically, um, you know, he's been told many lies. Even the rocks and the roots believe them to untangle them all will require the creation of a new world. Uh, I.e. Mordor, I'm guessing. Yeah, Um, yeah. Um, but that is something that only the gods can do, and I am no god, at least not yet. Um, Boom, so, Sauron. Yeah, okay, buddy. I still don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so, man. We'll see. We'll see. Sauron is very clearly attempting to be Morgoth, like be Morgoth, right? And Morgoth was essentially a god. He wasn't one of the big gods, but he was a god. And as a result, like his servant the heir and if this adar is claiming like he's creating this new world and you've been told lies i mean come on this feels <laughs> like sauron i don't know i i think that sauron would be a little more full of himself and and think that he has more abilities because he is in fact uh, a maiar so he's like at the very least on the same grounds or level as, as the likes of the Astari. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I think he's an elf. I don't think he's Sauron, but I could be wrong. 
we'll, we will definitely, we will definitely see. And yeah. I have, my argument is to me even more substantiated by something that happens later in the episode, but we're not there yet. So we won't talk about it. Ooh, spoiler alert. Um, okay. Yep. Let's yeah. Move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's that. The other thing that really doesn't mean a whole lot to a lot of people, but he asks uh, Arondir where he is from, where he was born, and he says Beleriand. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was just a fun little piece because Beleriand, of course, is the section of Middle-earth that was drowned by the Valar after the War of Wrath against Morgoth, where Morgoth was essentially defeated. Um, Josh, is this where in the in the opening scene of episode one, we see these floating bodies? Is is that this area? Is that what you're saying? It's it's quite possible. I think that that those floating bodies and stuff does allude to the War of Wrath. And uh, that's the the last war of the first age. It's kind of what, you know, the the ending point of the first age and the second or and the beginning of the second age. So that whole area of Middle Earth is basically submerged um, into the sea. Uh, basically to just wash it clean because it had been so destroyed by that war. Um, it's a war that the Valar came and fought alongside the elves and the Adain went in. And um, I just really thought that that was really fun. So we know now that Arandir is, is rather old. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, as is Adar, because Adar says, you know, I, I, I bet you you live by the mouth of the river. I, I remember going down that river, stuff like that. So that was yeah, very... Talking about the plants and yeah. Yeah, that was very interesting to me. Like I said, it's it probably means not a whole lot, but just kind of a, a fun piece, but also shows like, okay, this this guy truly is an elf. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. been around. And I, and I think like he was trying to create a familiarity with yeah. Aaron Deere, right? Yep. So kind of like, a, hey, you know, you can trust me. I I know where you're from. I know where you and you maybe don't know as much as you think you do. Right. Yep, absolutely. So he kind of ends that scene by saying I have a message for you uh mm-hmm. to send to the, you know, the men of the Southland that are in the old uh watchtower. Yes. And boom, we cut to the people of the Southlands in that uh watchtower where they are running out of food. Yeah. Yep, they've uh they've deserted their villages and they're trying to stay safe uh, in the confines of the, the old elf watchtower. And yeah, they're running out of food. So Theo and Rowan, it's more, more Theo than Rowan um, decide to go back to the village to try to get some food. And specifically um, he talks about who is the, uh, the store Waldreg Waldreg Mm -hmm. storehouse, like overflowing with food. Right. So he talks about going there to get it. Yep. Yep, so they do make it there. They do have food, but then Theo decides, hey, I need to go into the tavern here uh, where it's yeah. nice and dark because, oh, there's definitely more food in there, <laughs> which, yeah. I mean, come on, guys. Uh, the sun is shining. You're safe at the moment outside. Let's go somewhere where the sun is hidden and orcs can likely be. And, of course, right. what happens, but he runs into an orc. Yep, surprise, surprise, right? Let's yep. go into the creepy old house that's uh, all dark. It's you know horror movie one hundred and one <laughs> right there, right? But yeah. um, but yeah. So that's 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 an interesting scene. And then we have Theo actually using that sword hilt in a fight, mm-hmm. and he jabs it into his forearm to activate it. Yeah, because we yeah, so. we we learned earlier, right? That blood into that hilt will activate the sword, almost like a 
it's a uh, Lord of the Rings lightsaber, if you will. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he Powered fights off blood. an orc. Yep. Yep. So he fights off the orc and then he hides in a well. And uh, that's pretty much where we're left. Really, really fun scene though. I, it was, it was interesting to see Theo use that hilt. Clearly he's building a connection with this weapon and like, I don't know if he has like some kind of a draw to it or, or what, but there's definitely something going on there uh, between Theo and this hilt. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think that it's part of the story. And we also kind of learned that the orcs are looking for this sword because he's like, where did you get that? Like that's, and then he like goes running. He's like, he has it, you know? So clearly. Yep. So verified at this point, right. That is what they're looking for. We were speculating that uh, in our previous reviews and, and yep. So that was absolutely true. That's what they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's where we're left there. And we jump to Erigion. So real quick uh, visit here. in Yeah. Erigion. Yeah. So they're, they're building that forge. Um, looks pretty cool. Orc, uh, orcs, no elves and dwarves working together. Yes. And so we, we get to see a little scene here between Celebrimbor and Elrond. And uh, they have a, little conversation um, about Elrond's dad. So uh, Celebrimbor kind of sees Elrond in the, in the light and the window. And he kind of pauses for a moment because he's like, wow, I'm looking at your father. Mm. And then tells him, you know, that his father told him that one day his future would be in Elrond's hands. And he kind of wondered, is, is this what he's talking about? Or is it something else? So, right. Rather interesting. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you know, uh, Elrond learns from Celebrimbor that Celebrimbor kind of perceives that Prince Durin is hiding something, something right. he he's avoiding. He can't seem to uh, pin him down, and he's been trying to get a hold of him, essentially. Um, yep. He keeps getting the runaround. So Elrond, at this point, takes it upon himself to be that uh, in-between guy and, and track yeah. down Durin. Yeah, so he begins to investigate, and that brings us right into Casa Doom. It does, yes. I I enjoyed this part. <laughs> Me too. See, every, every time Disa is on the screen, I'm smiling because I just I just really enjoy her character so much. Yeah, I I completely agree. So you know, in this scene, Elrond's kind of questioning. He's got a lot of good questions, quite frankly. You know. And Deesa's basically just covering for her husband and mm-hmm. kind of trying to pull the wool over Elrond's eyes, uh, even if it's not working very well. Right. Um, she's got a couple of excuses and, and kind of just uh, leaves it at that. There was a, a line that she said about, uh, you know, accusing accusing a, a, a dwarf in her own home that she's lying or being deceitful. That's a recipe for strong gravy. Like, <laughs> such a silly, like, thing, but also very fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I liked that so much, but it's just little, little saying that uh, was, was quite comical to me. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, the dialogue in, like, this whole series has been great. And I've thoroughly enjoyed the dialogue anytime the dwarves are present. They're, uh, whoever wrote the dialogue for the dwarves, it's great. I, I just, I've, I've really, really enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, I have to say that I think the, the, the dwarves are some of my favorite characters. I, I feel like they really, they fit the bill very well. Yeah, yeah, they do. 
Yeah. So that's really fun. And, and we kind of move on at this point. Uh, we're still at Casa Doom and Duran yeah. and Disa are kind of walking along. They're talking about kind of what's going on. And then we kind of get to see some of that elven sight, elven hearing, some of those special abilities, if you will, that elves have. Um, yeah. As Elrond kind of watches and listens in on their conversation to discover where, in fact, Durin is going. Right, yes. Yeah. Super hearing Elrond finding out the secret. Yeah, and, and what, what does he find? But that they are doing something in the old mine underneath uh, the Miramir. Right, so. yeah. So they're, they're, the mining is going well. Uh, Durin says, and yep, they are under the Miramir, which is yeah. again really, really cool. Absolutely, and one, I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, we had talked about in was it episode two where we see the box open and we're like, that's mm-hmm. totally Mithril. It has to be Mithril. Right. Like right. this right now, like totally, like even it, it just at this point, even before any further parts of the episode, I'm like, yep, they're definitely mining Mithril there. Like that's oh, totally. Sure totally what I, I thought. And um, so, of course, Alron makes his way over there. He figures out how to get in past that secret door by using um, the children's rhyme, essentially, that the kids were chanting while he was trying to talk to Disa. So I guess that kind of tells you maybe you shouldn't teach your children nursery rhymes that are also oh, your clever. I totally mm-hmm. miss that. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> very clever. Oh, okay. That makes it even more fun. I like that. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> And yeah, so, I think that was fun. So he gets in uh, using the nursery rhyme, super fun, uh, yep. and finally revealed it is certainly Mithril. Like, yep, it he was sees Mithril. the veins. Yep. Yeah, and, and then, then shows up and he makes <laughs> he, he makes out. Elrond swear an oath to secrecy. Yeah, yeah, not before freaking out because it's like, see, I knew you were here for something else. You knew what we were doing, and he's like, no, actually, I really didn't. Like. I'm just concerned because you are keeping secrets from me and it's obvious. You're right. my friend. Like, I want to know what's going on. I want to make sure you're good. You're okay. Yeah. And so again, Elrond very much trying to mend this friendship and, and holding Durin accountable for that same friendship that he was so angry at Elrond for not providing. So, yep. you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good scene between the two of them. I really, really liked it. Um, you know, kind of reinforcing that friendship again and, and really doing everything that they can to cultivate it. And Duran relents. And yes, you're, you're right. You know, swear to me. They make a really cool oath on the stone. Uh, yep. Duran does. And, and Elrond swears by his father. Yep. And, and then uh, we find out what it is. And it's Mithril. Yeah. And so um, the dwarves call it gray glitter. Yeah. And then the elf tongue, Mithril. Mithril, yes. Yep. So, uh, and then not only does he learn about it, but then, uh, you know, as an act of friendship and good faith, Durin actually gifts him a piece of that Mithril to keep. So very, very interesting. And I, I can't help but feel like that that piece of Mithril is probably going to play a role in uh, future episodes. Just mm, seems yes. like something that even if he keeps his mouth shut, it's going to be figured out or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we, we know eventually it gets figured out, uh, but 
but in the interim, yeah, uh, a symbol of their friendship, a trust between the two of them. And then, boom, the, yeah. there's a cave-in in the mine. Yeah, a cave-in in the mine. So there's some rumbling. There's some clouds of dust. You hear some, uh, you know, rocks and, and whatever else. And did you at all pick up, like, the possible roar of a creature when you watched mm. it? So I've watched it a couple of times, and I, I feel like the second time I watched it, I I heard something. And um, we obviously know that they woke up a Balrog in Moria, um, in Casa Doom. I really am hoping that it's not this soon, because they still have a lot of Mithril to get before they do that. Mm, that would be tough for Nick to get paid off on that one, wouldn't it? Durin's yeah. Bane showing up this early? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I really, I did not, I'm really hoping I did not that it's just like, that. I'm really hoping it's just like rocks groaning and all of that kind of stuff. So that's kind of my um, hope. We'll, well just... I will have to rewatch uh, that episode because I'm sure I will enjoy yeah. the show so much. That's but um, I will uh, check for that and see what I hear when uh, when the cave-in happens. So Right, absolutely. Cool. Well, Josh, let's uh, let's hold fast here on our cave-in, and we'll take a quick break, and then we will charge back into the episode right after this. Welcome back. We're here to talk the second half of episode three. Uh, episode three we're on episode four now aren't we bud episode great four. Wave. <laughs> so we're gonna finish this off now yeah 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 lot lots of exciting stuff happened in the first half and uh man this second half is just fire i cannot wait to uh to get get through some of this content yeah i completely agree so we just left uh casa doom where there was that collapse and we jumped back to numenor and uh, this is the first thing we see are those made up characters, uh, you know, Kemen and, and Irion basically having a conversation. Who really yeah. cares? Looks like he's trying to court her or something, whatever. Uh, moving mm. on. <laughs> no, no, no. Before we move on. So some validation to these characters possibly, right? So, yes, uh, clearly there's something happening with Kemen and Irion. And what I think is happening is Kemen is nothing more than um, trying to spy on the family of, of Ilindil. Ooh, um, maybe. He, he's doing his father's bidding, right? Like uh, Farazan, and he's trying to make sure that he knows what's going on on this other side because we know that they are elf friends and yeah. um, they're friendly with them. So we know that Farazan isn't. And that's my prediction for this Ooh. whole relationship and dynamic going on. I like that. That's way deeper than what I was looking at it, probably because I just didn't care a whole lot, but I like that. That is intriguing to me. <laughs> well, the first time I went through it, that's literally what I decided I was going to do with these two was I don't care. Um, and then I'm like, <laughs> okay, there's got to be something here. Let me find it. That's what I'm thinking. Again, nice. moving on. <laughs> yes, moving on. So back to the prison, how Brand kind of schools Galadriel a little bit. Some yeah. very interesting uh, dialogue about how, you know, she's basically trying to beat her way through Numenor. She's like she's fighting orcs or trolls. But, um, you know, has it ever occurred to you that that's not what you're fighting here? Mm hmm. 
So yep. I think Giving that's her a, a lesson very, in politics. Yeah, essentially. Uh, and I think that that's very uh, interesting. And, um, you know, so I think maybe Galadriel listened a little bit and was like, okay, like I can see where you're coming from. Um, but then uh, Farazan shows up with some guards. Yeah. And uh, looks to me like they're going to just take her to escort her out so that they can get her ready to send her off on a ship. That's what and, they say. Um, yeah. Yeah. It felt a little more sinister uh, than that to me. Like in this moment in the episode, I'm like, ooh, what's going on? Is this an elf execution we're about to see? <laughs> well, we know Which that that's we all the know case. doesn't happen. <laughs> This is where that, that sinister part of Farazan comes in. I'm like, oh boy, what's he trying to accomplish here? Is he going to take out this challenge and kind of like, you know, appeal to the mob, if you will? Yeah, yeah. So we definitely kind of see that. But then she kind of just goes all elven warrior on them and throws those guards into the jail cell that she was in. Oh, that was um, and then. Yep heads off com- and you know completely overpowers them right kicks <laughs> yeah. them all in and then you're like oh okay this makes sense she's not ready to leave this island she's not wanting to be sent away she wants to leave with an army and right. we know that galadriel has a mission at this point um but then we get this interesting piece with hellbrand oh, who's playing politics now uh yeah. hellbrand playing both sides with uh Farazan. Letting, yep. letting him know, I know where she's going. Yep. Yeah, so, you know, and, and uh, basically just keeps Farazan from trying to, to fight Galadriel or stop her. I mean, let's be real. I think if he tried to do that, that would have been the end of Farazan. So <laughs> yeah. um, probably a good thing on his, his account that he didn't get involved at that point in time and just took the Council of Hellbrand. But it is interesting that Hellbrand's kind of playing both sides. Um, and mm-hmm. maybe he just knows that if Galadriel gets up there, she might actually have a chance of swaying uh, the Queen Weijin or the King, because that's really who she's trying to get to is Tar Palantir, right? So right, right. So that happens. She runs up the stairs, and we get a real quick scene with um, Arion and Isildur. They kind of meet up, talk him getting dismissed from the Sea Guard. And yep. she kind of makes a comment that's like, well, you've won. Now you can go west. Um, which, you know, that's obviously there's something there where Isildur is definitely wanting to go west. We now know, too, from the episodes prior that that's where his brother Anarion is at the moment. So uh, rather interesting. But then that gets interrupted by, you know, alerts that the elf has escaped. And right. we jump then to Galadriel breaking into the high tower where we see Tar Palantir for the first time. Yes. Yes. The uh, very interesting scene. Um, and she's not alone in the tower with the King. Muriel's no. there with her. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, obviously Galadriel learns that the King really isn't in a great spot. Um, and not many people know uh, the queen region is actually trying to keep it under wraps. Yeah. At this point. And um so they have a, a pretty detailed discussion about that. And, um, you know, it, it seems to me that they're starting to build a little trust between each other at this point. Right. Um, right. Muriel shares a lot about Numenor and why her father was removed from power, why she's the queen regent, you know, basically the falling away with the elves 
And then, you know, the plan to return to that relationship with the elves and mm -hmm. the, the pushback that came from the Numenorean citizens as a result and kind of helps us to understand why we are where we are in Numenor right now. Yeah, absolutely. A very, very um, insightful section of the episode for, for sure. Yeah. Um, that I really quite enjoyed. And then she takes her to the Palantir. Yes. Um, so that she can see that same vision that uh, she's been haunted with. Right. And, and an interesting piece here too, Josh, was that uh, Muriel says there's only one scene stone and the other six yeah. are either lost or they're hidden, which is very interesting for the future because mm -hmm. we know that multiple stones were brought to the shores of Middle Earth. Right, by the faithful. So it's right. rather interesting because um, there were a number of stones uh, throughout um, the kingdoms of Arnor and Gondor uh, at the beginning uh, of, their, of their reign, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so very interesting. And, I mean, we know uh, for sure there's three, right? Yeah, there's actually, there was more than that for sure. So there was one in Minas Tirith, there was one mm -hmm. in Esgiliath, there was one um, in what's we would know it as Minas Morgul, but before that, um, it was actually the sister city to Minas Tirith. Right. Um, I, be I believe um, Minas, uh, Minas Ithil. Ithil. Yep. And because at the time, Minas Tirith then was uh, Minas Arnor, Arnor. So you had the, the Tower of the Sun, the Tower of the Moon. Um, there was one at Weathertop, and there was one in the northern capital of Arnor, for sure. Ooh, how um, many did you just count out there, my friend? At least, did I just count six? I think you did. I might have counted five. The The sixth one would have been um, somewhere on the shores of of um, like the Linden area, like where okay. uh, the Curdan would be, like the shipwright, the Grey Havens. I think there was okay. one, there's a mention of one being somewhere around there. But of course, a lot of them were lost. One of them ends up in um, Sauron's hands in the... Yep. The uh, Tower of Orthanc. Thank you. I had. And then we know that there is one there. <laughs> in Beridur, and there is yep. one in Minas Tirith. Yep, so we like know for sure the three. Yep. And so that's really interesting, though, because, you know, she says there's only one. We know there's more. I'm sure yep. we'll find out in the episode where the rest are. So kind of a fun little uh, piece and something to look forward to in future episodes. Um, but then. Galadriel, like you said, she touches the Palantir and sees the same vision, but herself in the place of Queen Muriel um, yep. in the destruction of Numenor by the Great Wave. Yeah, that's, you know, very interesting. And, you know, uh, at this point, that's, you know, Galadriel, I think, you know, she says, you know, that the Palantir doesn't always show exactly what's going to be. You yeah. know, maybe it's something that could be, but could be avoided and so on and so forth. And, um, Muriel is basically like, yeah, no, the vision starts with you showing up. <laughs> yes. Yep. And it's, the, it's been the same since she showed up. So yeah, maybe a little bit of an eye opener by Galadriel there, but yep. this then again, Galadriel petitions the queen to aid her to free the mm -hmm. Southlands. And the yep. queen again, rejects she, the offer. She says no, but she's a little bit more. Um, she's a little nicer about it at this point, right? Right. Like, yep. It seems to me that there's there's some kind of relationship that it 
building some trust building between the two of them. Yeah. And she makes a comment. She, she says, faith may bind one heart, Galadriel, but it is too fine a thread to hang a kingdom. Mm, yes, and then she apologizes. Line. I thought, such a cool line. Great um, line, yeah. But very much kind of shows where she's at at this point, where it's like, you know what, you might be able to convince me, but I have to do what I feel is still best for the kingdom. And I believe that that means you leaving. Yep. Yep. Very so good. that kind of That's ends a, that scene. Yeah. In a, in a great uh, segue into uh, the Southlands here. Um, yeah, but I, can we can we stop for just two seconds? Let's do it. Okay, I'm sorry. So I don't know if you noticed this, but there were a lot of Easter eggs in that tower when they were talking. Um, okay. A lot of like um, heirloom pieces that we know Numenor had mm. that makes me really geeky and happy. So, for example, you see kind of like a painting or a tapestry or something of what looks to be Baron and Luthien. Ah, yes. Which is really cool. So you see that. But the other things that I think are way cooler is you see an axe. And I'm pretty sure that that's probably Dremberleg, which is the axe of Tour. And Tour is the grandfather of Elros and Elrond. So it makes sense that it's in the hands of the Numenorians. And you also see a swan shield, um, which would have been uh, tours as well. And if you know anything about Silmarillion or Gondolin and King Turgon and all of that, that is just such a cool little Easter egg. Makes oh, me very, great. very happy. I just had well, to bring that up. It, no, I'm it, glad you did. Those are, those are fun things to note in the scenes and, you know, things to consider and maybe give our listeners a little bit of a jab to go, Hey, check some of this stuff out. See if you can uh, learn more about these specific yeah. items and the fun well, stories that surround them. The other piece it does is it tells me that they really are doing their homework. Ah, uh, yes. When they're writing this, when they're doing the scenery, when they're, it, it just makes me really happy because those little nods are the, those are the kind of things it's like, yeah, you do pay attention to what's been written. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're not just trying to, create something simply with Tolkien's name on it, you're actually trying to stay true to Tolkien's works. So I loved that. But we can move yeah. on to the Southlands now. I just needed to get that little little piece in there because I was excited. Hey, man, I'm glad you did because those are little items that I didn't note. So I am super glad you said that. I'm definitely going to have to rewatch this episode again and check out those points as well. For sure. So we're back in the Southlands and Rowan yep. uh, has left Theo behind and rushed back <laughs> to the tower. Yep. Um, clearly he's not there. He tells Bronwyn and the rest of the people that he was supposed to be following him. And then we are back to the village. Uh, mm-hmm. Theo clearly trying to escape. Some fun, different interactions with the orcs here, right? It's a little yeah. bit different than we saw in the beginning where there was some reverence and some kindness almost like, you know, feeling bad that their comrade died to, hey, now I'm going to beat you up outside of this tavern because you lost uh, the, the young blood and they're being the destructive orcs that we saw. So a contradiction from what we saw when they were around Adar. I don't know if there's mm-hmm. something there, but just an observation. Yeah, they definitely a little more, more wild, if you will. What's yeah. kind of funny is... Um, it really, so there's two things it reminded me of. One, it reminded me of the scene in The Return of the King where um, Samwise is 
uh, in the tower trying to save Frodo and like the Urukai and the orcs mm, like get yes. into a fight with each other yep. and they're kind of just you know whatever just beat each other up and yeah yeah yep Kirithungal. and the other thing that it reminds me of is the orcs from Shadow of Mordor <laughs> um, so <laughs> I love that game I've played a lot Great of that game. game and one of the things that you always notice in that game is that they're always yelling at each other the orcs yes. you know as you run by a group of orcs, they'll be yelling at each other or beating on each other or beating a slave. But um, it very much reminded me of that for whatever reason. It kind of just made me chuckle. That is that is very funny. And yeah, I also love that game. And, you know, I, I think that kind of speaks to what we envision the orc culture to be, which is yep. rule by the strong, right? Yep. Not by the wise or the or the merciful, like, or it's it's all strength. And so it's constant yep. infighting to who's going to be the, the boss, essentially, right? Who's going to be yep. leading this group? And yeah, an interesting an interesting observation and a clear contradiction from what we saw in the beginning. And again, I really want to see something happen there. Like, what is the uh, significance of Adar? And is there a correlation? So. Yeah, absolutely. So, Theo you know, continues his escape, right? Yep. Theo Trying to get away. And kind of fails at it, honestly. About to yeah. get chopped to bits. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, lo and behold, Arondir saves him. See yeah. an elf blade stick through the chest of a of an orc about to chop off his arm. And then starts the slow-mo escape through the forest. Right. And this was that cool scene we all saw in the trailers uh, with Arondir and grabbing the arrow, which is just yep. about to hit Theo on the ground and firing it back. It was it yep. was a really beautifully shot scene. I really enjoyed this. Uh, it moved very fast. It was a very short scene, but a lot a lot of fun to watch. Yep, absolutely. So we see that happen. Uh, Bronwyn shows up, like, "Hey, I'm going to save my son." She's got like her little scythe, like that's going to do something, right? Um, but they they have their that 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 whole like escape scene. They get out of the tree line. And lo and behold, the sun is coming up and the light saves them. Uh, very yep. thematic. Very thematic indeed. Like the power of the sun keeping the the orcs back. So, yeah. you know, again, light seeing keeping the darkness significance. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the symbolism there. That was good. Yeah. So that was really cool. And just another, you know, point to show that, yeah, they, those orcs have no love of the sunlight, uh, as Gandalf mm-hmm. would say. And mm-hmm. um, it definitely it even hurts them in their basically afraid of it and i wouldn't blame them if you know i burned every time i got into sunlight (laughs) yes (laughs) or at least to that extent yeah so we get that and then we get we cut back to casa doom and it was kind of cool how they did that because the music started uh and you thought that it was just basically music for that escape scene um but it's it, it kind of blends right into disa singing to the rocks right singing right basically uh making a plea for the rocks to release the miners that are still alive or still have breath in them right yeah really really cool scene um now we kind of see the power of that singing right like the whole uh prospecting by song if you will and yeah what a great great scene uh here with disa yeah absolutely so that happens and then we kind of Cut to Disa apologizing to Elrond for, you know, not telling him the truth because if Elrond hadn't been there, maybe 
Duran would have been in that shaft at the same time. And um, so that there's, you know, this, this nice, you know, exchange between them. And then Duran shows up with some good news. Uh, you know, they, they got the last guy out and he was still alive, but then he's still mad as snot because his dad is sealing off the whole vein uh, and not allowing them to, to mine for that myth role. And, Right, uh, kind of opens the the door for Elrond to have a heart to heart with uh, Durin here, talking about um, his, the importance uh, of his relationship with his father. Right, yeah, because yeah. Durin's ready to write off his father at this point. He's so yep. frustrated and so angry, and yeah, such a touching uh, conversation between the two of them, and it really gave yep. me the feels um, for my own yeah. personal life here. But you know, it, the importance of your relationship with your father and Elrond where if he could have one thing, he wouldn't have worried about what he did wrong. He wouldn't have worried about what he did. Right. He would have just wanted to have that conversation with his father. Right. Just to see him again. Right. Whether his father was going to say something good to him or something bad to him, it was just, it would have been one more conversation he gets to have with his father. And so uh, that definitely makes uh, Durin kind of see the light, if you will. And then you you see a really good uh, kind of touching moment between the king and the prince uh, yeah. right after that, right? But not yeah, I before really, really like that. Yeah, I did too. I thought that was really cool. It just really just spoke to the depth of the of the dwarven characters. But before that, we got kind of a fun fun thing where Lisa asks Elrond to kind of clear the air on how did they meet. Oh, I love this. Elrond and Durin, that is. <laughs> I love this so much. I was laughing, like, out loud during this moment. It was just, it was great because, obviously, Durin jumps right in. He's like, well, well, I saved him from two trolls in the woods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I wasn't asking you, dearie. I was asking Elrond. <laughs> yeah, and then Elrond's like, oh, I'm sorry, I have to amend this story. <laughs> There was three and I saved him. I thought it was a young girl <laughs> screaming. <laughs> it was a water cry. <laughs> it so, was so funny. I it was super that. funny. I just love oh, that. Yeah. And it, it really just kind of spoke to like the kind of banter between friends, right? Like just, yeah. um, you know, I don't remember it like that buddy or whatever. And, and just kind of being able to razz each other a little bit. I, I just, I loved it. it. It really just spoke to their friendship. Yeah, I I'm right there with you. I did enjoy that a lot. And then and then we had the touching moment between King Durin and Prince Durin. Um, yep. You know where he basically let him know that it doesn't matter what you do, I'm always with you. I will yep. always be on your side. And yep. so you know he then gives gives Prince Durin permission to to go to Linden with yep. uh, with Elrond. Yep, and there's definitely some more storyline that's going to come of that, I do believe. You know, it, yes. it's kind of interesting because, you know, Durin, the king Durin has Prince Durin, like, do you, you know, perceive that there's something else going on? And he's like, yeah, I do. Um, and he's like, then go to Linden. So that'll be really cool. I think that'll be fun to, obviously, we're going to get a return to Linden here at some point in time. Right. Um, and Elrond will be bringing a dwarf there. So that'll be, that'll be really quite fun. <laughs> yes, I agree. So great, great scene in uh, Casa Doom. I've enjoyed every single scene in Casa Doom thus far. Definitely one of my favorite locations uh, yep. with, um, in addition to the Southlands. Yeah, I, I got to say, I think Casa Doom, Casa Doom and Numenor, they're my, they're my two favorite locations at the moment. But 
Great, great. Moving on to where we, we're going to cut back to the Southlands here. Yes. And we uh, finally learn you know, what the message is. Yep. We, we learn what the message is. Arandir kind of delivers that to a, a, a thankful Bronwyn. That's mm-hmm. kind of you know, stroking, stroking his arm, getting a little friendly. Like, hey, you just saved my son. Yeah. What do you say we take this upstairs or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there's some. Little... There's definitely, definitely some going on between the two of them. We'll just put it that way. Yeah, there, there, there certainly are some sparks there, and you know, yet to uh, kind of see how that one's going to play out, but definitely uh, some chemistry. So, yep. You know, the in the message is your people will live if they forsake all claims to the land and swear fealty to him. Yep. To Adar. To Adar, yes. So they've definitely got a decision ahead of them that I'm sure we're going to uh, see in future episodes. That's for sure. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. And then uh, we cut to Theo kind of hanging out on the ground and old man Waldrig comes up to him. Yes. And this was such a telling scene to me. Oh boy, was it ever. Yes. So uh you know, basically um calls him out for taking the hilt from his barn. Yep. That he's been carrying around. Uh you know, Theo tries to be like, Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. Um, but he's like, Yeah, no, look at the mark on your arm and then he pulls up his arm and you see that like same mark. The same mark. And he, yeah, and he says that is no sword. It is a power for our ancestors mm. uh, from the beautiful servant. The beautiful servant. Who could this yeah. be? Uh, Sauron, of course. Obviously. He was lost but shall return. Have you heard of Sauron, boy? And, yes. I mean, just such a, a cool piece. So it's like, okay, like there are still those in the Southland that are, in fact, loyal to Sauron. Yes. Um, yep. So the elves and they are, are anticipating right in his return. Yeah, absolutely. And he even says, you know, you've seen it in the skies. The star fell. That means the time is near. Um, so you be better be ready. Save your strength. You're going to need it for what's coming. Right. And so so crazy, um, and uh, very interesting. Yes. So, so some some interesting pieces in there, right? You saw the star fall. So you know that's a, a nod toward the stranger. Um, and what correlation does he play yeah. in that? Yep. So, you know, there's some, you, you had some initial speculation right out of the gates, right? Where when the meteor hit, it looked like the eye of Sauron. Mm-hmm. Um, could the stranger be Sauron? I still am definitely not in that camp. I'm in the Adar camp, but, um, but an interesting correlation nonetheless. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So we see and, that happen. Yeah. Oh, Anything ahead. else that kind of came out of that discussion uh, for you? Um, you know, just just make note of it is no sword. Is it is a power for our ancestors mm. from the beautiful servant? Okay. Yes. Um, just just make note of that because now we're going to cut back to Adar, and yes. it's a very short scene, but it's basically father. We have found Lord it it's in the tower. Yes, yes. Lord Father. Lord we Father. Have found it. mm-hmm. It's in and the tower. And they're obviously talking about that hilt. Obviously. And and here's here's my thought process on that is that yes. if he is in fact Sauron, he and he gifted that to let's say the the men in the Southlands that were 
loyal to him or loyal to Morgoth. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine Sauron needing to get it back in order to have the power that he needs. Right. So that's, it, that's kind of why could... I'm, it adds to my, like, mm, I don't think that, uh, Okay. I don't think that Adar is in fact Sauron. He, he he's either going to be like to me. I think he's going to be like some like middle boss that might be paving the way for Sauron, or okay. he is there because he wants to directly challenge Sauron for leadership of whatever they're going to create there in Mordor. Mm. Very interesting. I I see that sword hilt as a tool to unite the men um, of the Southlands back under his banner. So if he returns and he has the hilt, they know it was a gift from from him and a representation, if you will, um, to mm-hmm. reunify the Southlands underneath him. Interesting. Well, we shall see. I think we're definitely going to learn learn about uh this this sword hilt a lot more in in the coming episodes we've got four left right so yes i'm i'm excited to find out what what exactly happens me too me too a lot a lot of building anticipation here oh for sure and then last but not least we cut to basically the the final location of this episode we're back in numenor and they're sending galadriel off so they're they're throwing her on a boat and they're going to row her to a ship so that she can go back to Middle Earth, get her yes. out of their hair. So it's kind of interesting. Elendil is standing there uh, on that little uh, pier with her and basically says go in peace to her in, mm-hmm. in the High Elvish. And uh, she kind of goes on her way and Farazan kind of pats the queen regent on the back and, you know, basically says that like, this is, this is good or, yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're the, the people will be pleased or whatever. Yes. Yep. She's finally gone. The people will be happy. And, and as they're walking to go and address the people, we see white petals. Yep. We see white petals. And she of course takes note of that, you know, Alindale's watching it as well. And she kind of does an about face and kind of, walks back towards and is looking at Elendil as, as those petals are falling. And then all of a sudden she starts speaking. Like there's obviously it's cutting, it's going to cut to a speech of hers. Right. And right. she starts out, that speech starts out with that same line that she, she told Elendil in the last episode where, you know, the faithful believe that it is no idle thing when the petals of the white tree fall for it's it's representative representative of of the tears of the valar right um so just rather interesting and of course she you know she has this moving speech about you know asking whether or not if if they're still full of valor if they're still strong or if, if that valar is in the tombs with their forefathers and yes um and basically declares that uh, she's going to go to Middle-earth with Galadriel right. and calls for volunteers to essentially go with her to be a guard um, yes. where they're going to aid their mortal brethren in the Southlands. Yeah, and we're getting a parallel speech from Elendil, right, to the people yep. where the queen is speaking to the people from, from the court and yep. Elendil is speaking to the people in the city. Parallel yep. speech is happening. And volunteers' hands are raised to go with the queen. 
And lo and behold, who volunteers? None other than Isildur. Yep, and his two buddies that got kicked off the sea guard as well. <laughs> yeah, and his two buddies. <laughs> right. Yeah, so that, that's kind of where the episode ends. So the thing that I found interesting about this is we're talking about Numenor here, you guys. Um, super, like, in the height of its glory, should have an extremely strong military and navy all on its own. I found it very interesting that they would have to take volunteers uh, to mm. go do this uh, when there should be a grand army that the queen regent can essentially command. Sure. So it was, it was very interesting. And maybe this was her way of being political because she knows that there is, there's not a, a like or love for the elf by any means of the imagination, right. but she's trying to appeal to them just from the basis of Who's, their honor, yeah. their strength and, and their mortal brother in the Southlands. And by not maybe enacting an act of war, and raising the army by calling for volunteers, it's only the people who want to go, right? So then right. there can't be like this, you're taking Numenor in a direction they don't want to go, you know? So like there could be some, some politics involved here as well, where maybe it takes more to raise the army than simply a command of the queen regent. Yeah, and that, that certainly could be, could be so. The other interesting note from this, this uh, part of the episode is that Farazan basically doesn't show any um, sign that he might be against this decision. He basically declares the king has made her intentions known. Um, and that's about it. Like, he doesn't, you know, I kind of expected to maybe see something where he um, was like, okay, like, you know, like like the the villain in the background rubbing his hands together or something like that. Mm. Um, instead, he just looks very much like as if he's on board with it. So I'm very interested oh, into what yeah. exactly is going on there. I'm sure he'll use this he is to his advantage. totally on board with it. Like with the queen off the island, there is nobody <laughs> there to challenge him at this point. Yeah, that's, so that could be true. Yeah. He will have the, the masses at his fingertips and he can stir the pot. So well, she's yeah. gone. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So he probably is okay with the idea of her leaving for a while. Yeah. Well, that uh, that wraps up our our review of of the Great Wave, and mm-hmm. let's uh, let's jump into our sign off here and close out this episode. Sounds like a plan. to finish up episode four of muster the bro just had a pretty good conversation about uh, episode four the great wave from the rings of power what did you think nick oh it was such a good one and yeah really good insights uh from you that things i didn't pick up on it was really really fun having that conversation josh yeah i think that's one of the best things about having these conversations is being able to just pull the different aspects that people are seeing from each other. I mean, I've definitely seen a lot of new elements of the show because you've brought them forth. And I really appreciate that other perspective. I also appreciate um, that we're both on board with enjoying this show. Um, I think Amazon has done a tremendous job of delivering something that we can be happy about and enjoy. And um, I just love being back in Middle Earth, man. Yeah, me too, buddy. It is so good. And, you know, we definitely broken record, but it does feel good to be back. And I, 
I'm really enjoying, just like you said, the, the, the same perspective, even though we can pull different things out of the, I say this might've been a tougher podcast to do together. Should I be the one enjoying it and you being heavily critical? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll admit, you know, going into it, I was tampering my expectations down a bit just because I didn't want to be disappointed. But um, at the end of the day, I have so enjoyed everything that they've done, the little Easter eggs that they've put in there. Um, I really can't complain. I mean, we're getting new content from Middle Earth. What is there to complain about, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it it's just a lot of fun. And that's what we're supposed to be able to do is have fun with it. Like if we can't enjoy it, what's the point of it? And it has exceeded my expectations on all fronts. So, you know, it's just, it is a lot of fun and I'm enjoying our discussions about it. Yeah, I can't agree more with you, buddy. And you know what? I think it'd be a lot of fun if we got other listeners involved uh, with those conversations. How can we do that? Well, they can join our Facebook page and jump into the discussion. So we are on Facebook. If you search for Muster the Bro Hiram, you will find our page. Go ahead and give that a like and join the discussion. We'd love to hear from you guys, hear what you thought about the episode and, and just any questions or comments that you guys have. Yeah, absolutely. So you can join the conversation, join the Bro Hiram, if you will, on Facebook. You can also leave us a nice review on any podcast platform that you're listening to us on. Uh, That five-star review with a little comment here or there, that is much appreciated as well. Absolutely. All right. Well, that kind of wraps it up. So until next time, I'm Nick. And I'm Josh. And we are Muster the Brohirum.